are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Today is actually is a very special day, not only because it's Sunday and we get to see everyone here, but also uh, Pastor Josh has taken uh, over the youth ministry pastor position uh, starting today. And so Pastor Josh, who's sitting right there next to Nancy, uh, very awkwardly right there. <laughs> uh, he's, he's been our children's pastor for about five years, and then he took a, took a break, and Pastor Esther came back and took over that ministry. And Pastor Josh, who, and both Nancy also, who are very dear friends of mine from college, actually, um, they've been serving alongside me for, for many years now. And after much prayer and deliberation, our the church leadership and I, we've uh, prayed and we thought through and, and we felt like the Lord has uh, called Pastor Josh to enter the ministry as a youth pastor. And so um, if I could, and just so we did in the youth ministry, because whether you guys know it or not, in the near future, some of your kids will be entering the youth ministry too. Yeah. Actually, do, do we have any right now? Kyle, exactly. That's right. Um, absolutely. And so it's, it's, a, it's a huge deal. And it's just it's awesome having him partner with us, partner with us in that way. So um, if you could just stand in the middle like we did last time, <laughs> and if you call, just kind of rise and just extend your hands out to him. We want to bless him, right? Pastor Nancy, why don't you, Nancy, why don't you go ahead and stand in the middle as well? There's no I in team. Um, yeah, and so if you could, wow, we're an awkward group here. Okay, <laughs> Let's, we can close in. It's okay if we take a couple minutes during our worship time to do this. This is what it's about. So let's go ahead and extend our hands out to them and bless um, Pastor Josh and Nancy and their two babies, Jaden and Emma. Okay, so we want to lift them up. Uh, let's just pray for faithfulness. Let's pray for wisdom and, and how to shepherd and lead a group of um, nearly 100 youth kids. And um, it's, it's going to be a full task, but it's a task that can be done through the Lord. And so let's really empower them and anoint them and pray a prayer of blessing over them. And I'll close, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these two and for this family who has um, willingly, obediently accepted your call to serve in youth ministry. This is not an easy task, Lord. Uh, this is by no means something that someone could just woefully say, I'm going to go ahead and try tackling it. No, Lord, this is a calling. This is a vocation. And this is something, Lord, we believe through prayer and through the counsel of uh, wise spiritual men, Lord, that you have called Josh here and Nancy to come and to lead our youth ministry. For the sake of your kingdom and your glory, I pray that you would empower them with every possible tool that they need, Lord, to fight for you and to fight against the enemy. Lord, I pray that you would equip them with scriptural, biblical, spiritual truth and knowledge and greater passion love for you, Jesus, and that you will continue uh, to reign in their hearts and that as the youth students uh, draw closer to them, they would indeed actually be drawn closer to you, Father. And so again, we thank you for these two, and I pray that you pour your blessing upon them. And we as an EM ministry want to commission them and lift them up, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. They got to feel blessed today. I don't know how many times we, we did like group prayer and stuff like that, but it's great. Um, thank you, uh, men, also for reading the, the two verses here. Now, there was a, a story of someone, uh, a pastor who was on a, on a jury, and so he, he was recounting his story. He said this. He said, I was, I was in a jury for a drunk driving case. 
and the defendant had a blood alcohol level twice the legal limit. And so the judge came over to us and carefully instructed us that our job was to determine if the woman had, in fact, broken the law. I naively thought that this was a no-brainer, a slam dunk of a case. We shouldn't have to deliberate more than just a few minutes. But we got into the jury room, and one guy piped up. I can drink that much and drive without any problem. Someone else chimed in with a similar comment. And then some of the ladies commented and said how nice that young woman seemed to be. I couldn't believe it. They were totally ignoring the judge's instructions. And so after three hours of wrangling, another juror and I finally had to persuade every single, one of the, uh, every single person here of the woman's guilt, except for one woman. And she said, you know what? I can never vote to convict her because the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And the, it was late in that day, and I knew that if we didn't convict her, we'd all have to come back the next day. So I said this, none of us want to come back tomorrow. We're going to convict her, so be quiet. And that's how justice was done, he said. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge lest you be judged or that you will not be judged. There is hardly any verse of the Bible that is more misunderstood than those words of Jesus. Have you ever said that before? Don't judge me. You don't know me. And there's hardly any verse that is more frequently disobeyed among Christians than this verse. I've broken it many times, and I'm sure I'm not the exception. Also, we're supposed to keep in mind that judgment here, okay, judging is not just verbalizing our disagreement against you or our prejudice against an individual. In fact, being judgmental happens in the heart first. We have to understand that, okay? Happens in the heart first. We judge because we think we are better than you. Have you ever thought that? Of course. In other words, when we think of judging, we think of judging in this context. And that's what James is talking about here. He says, don't judge to hurt. Don't judge to hurt. Later, we'll see the other side to judging. But first, let's get into this text, okay? Now, we need to understand that this text is about speaking against each other, that type of judgment, okay? Speaking against each other. Some translations will say speaking evil, to another person. NIV says slandering. That's what this judgment is talking about. In this context, we're reading judging as speaking down on or defaming or discrediting or belittling someone. Now we can try to justify ourselves by saying, well, at least I'm speaking the truth. Have you ever said that? So you know what? And I'll be honest. We said that before. We try to justify by saying, well, I'm speaking truth. But the issue here is not about the truth. In fact, you can totally destroy someone in the most malicious way without ever lying. Did you know that? You can destroy someone in the most malicious way without ever once speaking a falsehood. But that doesn't make it right. In fact, there was a pastor named Alec Moyer. He said this, Defamation, or judging in this case, defamation is forbidden not as a breach of truth, not as a breach of love, but as a breach of humility. Do you get that? It's a breach of humility. Judging others, as in the way we often do it, can come off as a petty thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that we all do it. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. I think we've all heard someone somewhere put someone down, and maybe we think it's not that big a deal. The answer to that is, is yes, it is a big deal when we judge one another. 
Because those thoughts that become words have enormous implications. After all, the last chapter that we went over was talking about the sins of the tongue and its enormous implications in terms of destruction. So here, James points out the flaw and what it does to us and others in our accountability before God. And so he says this, and this is my first point. Speaking down or defaming or judging each other betrays God's family. Betrays God's family. You guys heard about unions, right? The thing about unions is that if you mess with one person, you mess with every person, all of them, exactly. You're messing with all of them because it's all about loyalty. In some ways, we're all part of a union. We're all part of a group. Now, God has established something greater than any union or any culture or any one nationality or family, and that is his family. That's the union we're talking about here. The reason why I call you my brother or my sister is not because I'm being lazy and I don't feel like saying your name. It's because you're actually my brother and my sister. Because if you trust in Jesus and you've been joined to him by his spirit, you and I are children of God. Hallelujah. That means we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's that crazy awesome relationship that we now have that takes precedence over any racial differences over any socioeconomic differences, over any political, gender, or cultural differences. In Christ, we are a family. Turn to your neighbor and say, in Christ, we're a family. You know what's really cool? Throughout my journey, throughout my travels, I remember when I went to South Africa, and then I went to Mozambique, and I went to Swaziland. Every single one of those three countries I went to in, in Africa, I went to a church that I just simply visited because that's just what I do. I like doing that, right? I, I go there, and I meet these brothers and these sisters who definitely don't look like me, who, are, who don't have the, my, ty my type of background or whatever you want to call it, but it was just amazing. They just immediately accepted me into their church, into their homes. I ate with them. Why? Simply because I knew Jesus, and they knew Jesus. And that was the only common denominator we needed, even though they couldn't understand my English sometimes, even though they couldn't understand where I was, co where I was coming from. They understood my Lord. And that was it. It was amazing. And that's why they were my brother and my sister. And so in this family, there's only one firstborn, though, in this God family. There's one elder, and that's Jesus. He has status above everyone else, and the rest of us are his brothers and sisters. You know that. That's why we don't call Jesus Father, right? We don't call him Father. That's why Jesus tells us not to call each other Master or Father, because in him, we're all members of one family. Jesus is our big bro, and God is our father. That's awesome. So with that understanding, verse 11, James says, brother, three times. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, those who, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. You see, God is trying to make it a point of our equality as family members. Do you know what that means? You're not better than me, but I'm not better than you either. That's refreshing. Turn to your neighbor and say that. You're not better than me. <laughs> but in that family of equality, the loyalty that each person must evoke, there's, it brings a family sense of family solidarity. Yeah, we can rag on each other as families typically do, but one thing families should never do is actually verbally destroy and talk down on one another. You never do that. Be careful in how you talk to each other. When your objective is to destroy one another by slandering a brother or sister in Christ, regardless of what he or she has done, you are breaking apart the very fabric of God's family. 
Be careful. So I ask you this very personal question. Is there someone here where you've said some unkind, maybe even malicious things to? If so, don't avoid them. Instead, go and ask for forgiveness and reconcile because that's what families do. Families make up, right? Families make up. Families don't leave. You get that? There's a, there's a bigger issue if that happens. You families make up. A brother says something wrong to his sister. He doesn't pack his bags and like, see ya. But that's what happens in churches, isn't it? There's discord, disagreement in church. What happens? Well, there's another church across the street. I'll go to that one. The second point is that we talk down, is when we talk down on our brothers and sisters, we're actually judging God's law. That's the second point. We're actually judging God's law when we judge one another or when we defame one another. I remember when Clinton, President Clinton was impeached. The way he conducted himself before would appear that he thought he was above the law, but the, but the impeachment showed that he, in fact, was not. No president is. And if that's true of the law of the United States, think how much truer it has to be of God's law. No one is above God's law. Turn to your neighbor and say that. No one is above God's law. And that's exactly James's point. When we slander or whenever we defame our brother, it not only violates the family structure by exalting, exalting us above one another, but it violates God's law and exalts us above his law. So how does judging one another offend God's law? The law being the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says this, You shall not bear false witness against your brother. You see, in the Heidelberg Catechism, it says, God's will is that I never give false testimony against someone, twist no one's words, not, uh, never gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a just cause. But not only that, Leviticus 19.16 says the same thing. So you see, we're breaking God's law when we talk down to one another. How extreme is that? It's not when you're just being mean. It's not just offending him. We are breaking the law of God. Understand that. There are greater consequences than just offending someone here. Because what happens is we stop being obeyers of God's law. Instead, we become lawbreakers. So how does this apply to us all? Well, first of all, it throws, us that, throws out that silly notion we all seem to have that we're somehow good people. No. You may think, well, I'm not that bad. Well, no. You see, judging others goes to show that we are actually bad that we're breaking God's standard, that we're breaking God's moral law. We're judging others. It shows that we're bad, that we've actually broken God's law, but by His grace, it shows us how gracious and loving our Heavenly Father is despite our willful disobedience. The last point is that when we defame one another, we actually end up defying God Himself. We actually challenge God. There was a situation, not in my seminary class, but this is an example from a pastor, it was in his seminary class where a student thought he knew better than the professor. Every time the professor spoke, the students, being overly critical, would always chime in and would point out a better way to do this or interpret that. Well, one day the professor, without warning, handed his entire session, lecture, over to that student. And it didn't take long to make the point because the student, who was once so full of wisdom and so full of criticism, soon began floundering and sweating and asking for help. You see, it's easy to criticize, but really few of us ever want to take the whole responsibility. And the problem is that, is that we do the same thing with God. Now, we never seem satisfied with how God does things, do we, sometimes? Right? 
Some of you guys are single, and you've been in past relationships, and you're thinking, God, where are you? She was the right one. He was the right one. Whatever. You messed up, God. Or maybe this is my career. This is my schooling. This is what I should have done. This is where I should have gone. You messed up, God. And so we keep thinking that. We're not satisfied with how God does things. We always think we have a better way, that we find God's ways too slow or perhaps too deficient. But few of us are ready to take on God himself or try to dethrone him because that would be ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And yet James says here that every time we judge one another, every time we defame our brothers, we not only exalt ourselves above others in our family, we not only exalt ourselves above God's law, but we also exalt ourselves above God. The point is this. There's only one who has given the law. There's only one who is the law. There is only one who's in the position to judge, and that's God. Not you, not me. And so verse 12 reminds us that God is the only lawgiver and the judge, but that he is the only one who is able to save and to destroy. You see, defaming someone holds greater implications than simply bringing offense to that person because it also discredits you and also attempts to tarnish the reputation of God. Now the thing is this. Early on in the sermon, I made a point to define what judgment means here within the context of this passage. And the reason why I did so is because there is a right way to judge and a wrong way to judge. Did you know that? That the Bible says you can judge, but the Bible says do not judge. So you're probably thinking, red flag, PD, contradiction, discrepancy, whatever you want to call it. But there is a right way to judge. There's a right way to judge. There's a right and wrong way to judge. Now, I've already explained to you through James here the wrong way to judge, slandering. Try and lift yourself up by bringing them down, discouraging, whatever you want to call it, being manipulative. But what's the right way? The right way is this. We can judge when there's false teaching. Absolutely. Matthew 7, 15 tells us to be aware of false prophets, false teachers who go around saying, hey, I know the real gospel, and it says something completely different from what the Word of God says. You can judge that and say, no, you can cry foul. Romans 16 also tells us to keep an eye out for contrary teachings from what the apostles have taught. Also, we are to judge one another in terms of, get this, confronting sin in each other. Did you know that? Now, here's the delicate part. We have to do this with loving responsibility. Now, if I see my daughter about to run into traffic, I'll do everything in my power to warn her and stop her. Likewise, if you see a brother in Christ about to ruin his life by sin or by believing false doctrine, then love should motivate you to do everything possible to warn him. Stop, stop. That is not what God is saying. That is not the truth. So you really have two judgments. One judgment is the manipulative, slandering, self-centered, prideful comments that feign compassion and love. We're to stay away from that kind of judging. The second judging must be done in light of great humility and brokenness. If you have neither, then you should probably keep your mouth shut no matter how obvious their sin is. But if you genuinely desire to see that brother or that sister to grow in Christ and you'd be willing to die to yourself, then by all means bring accountability to that member with grace and love. Now, I can't wait for this men's retreat. I'm excited. And my wife is scared for me. She keeps asking all the guys, do you have any experience? Do you have any experience? Do you have any experience? Because she knows full well that I have no experience, right? 
My hiking consists of me going to my car, right, on an incline. But I'm excited. I'm excited because it's a time when we'll be able to simply sit before each other as we've been doing these past Tuesday every week for the past six weeks, and we can expose the obstacles that lay before us. And we don't always say the prettiest things. We don't always say, oh, yeah, life is fine, it's okay. Or, yeah, I just got really mad at some guy who cut me off. No, there's some real transparent, authentic words that are being spoken. And I appreciate that. So we lay bare the obstacles that lay before us. It's in this setting that we seek truth with grace declared over us rather than someone simply saying, it's okay, brother, no one's perfect. We meet because we believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change and we can grow to become more Christ-like. But it requires honesty. And it also requires harsh words of truth from each other at times. But what's great is that the more you see the perfection of Christ, the more you see the imperfections of your own heart. This understanding forces us to elevate Jesus' truth over us and for us to lower our pride. So it's a great time. I'm enjoying it. I don't know about the other guys. We must judge by means of accountability. Our fellow brothers and sisters, because Because to not declare God's truth over one another is to minimize all that Christ has done to declare God's perfect love. If we allow each other to remain in sin, then we take away all that God has sacrificially given away to us. So what kind of judging are you doing right now in your life? Ask yourself, how am I judging right now? Are you judging to lift up and hold your fellow brothers and sisters to the standards of Christ? Or are you simply judging to slander and defame one another to promote yourself over others and thereby defy God's law and God himself? How are you judging today? Now, someone, someone may ask, well, there's a lot of people who go outside these church walls and say negative and judgmental things. Now, let me say this. The reason why we don't judge and should not judge non-believers is simply because to judge, there must be a standard by which to judge. Non-believers do not know our standard, people. They don't know. So when we say it's a sin, they're like, what are you talking about? We say, the Bible says so. I don't believe in the Bible. Well, God is not happy. I don't believe in God. Non-believers do not know our standard because they do not know Christ as we do. Therefore, to tell them what they're doing is sin won't do much in terms of evangelism. We are called not to judge those who don't know Christ, but instead we're called to show them how great our God is. You get that? Show them how great our God is. The more they see and understand who God is, the more they'll see their need for him. That's how they come. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how they come. So what is the standard of God then? If the Olympics, there's a scale of 1 through 10, 10 being perfect, God also has a scale. It's called his law. And instead of 1 through 10, he grades with a pass or fail. You either have to be perfect or you fail. But knowing that it's impossible for us, he graciously has given us Jesus who did perfectly live and fulfill God's standard of perfection. This means that Jesus is the one who's won it for us. He is the one who scored perfectly. And so we're able to come to God based on Jesus' accomplishments, on his perfect score and his perfect life. So again, it's all about Jesus. I want to finish with two things. If you ever judge someone but did so with anything but love and humility, then you must first reconcile yourself to God and then to that person. If you ever received judgment from another and perhaps you were hurt by it, I think we've all been hurt. 
I ask that you also consider if what they said convicted you. Was what they said right? Did they say it with grace as well? Was it simply your pride and stubbornness that refused to acknowledge God's hand of grace to you through that brother or sister? You get what I'm saying? Here's the thing. Many times God will convict us through our own personal quiet times as you read the word and in your prayer life. But many times the Lord will convict us through and by one another. You know how many times I'm convicted by God through my wife? Every time. He speaks truth through her. You know how many times I'm convicted by my fellow brothers and sisters here? Every time. How are you responding to that? I ask you. You'll see that there's a lot that's involved in this sticky issue of judgment. So here's the thing. How can anyone speak without sounding prideful? How can anyone speak without being misunderstood or without misunderstanding? And here's the key. This is, how, this is the bottom line, okay? Here's the key. How to respond and how to speak to people and how to interpret and all that stuff. This is the key. Brokenness in Christ. Period. Are you broken in Christ? I hope that I'll be the first person to admit when I'm wrong and when I've made a mistake because as someone, personally, who grew up trying to make sure everything was fine in my life and that I'm doing well. Well, let me tell you this. Those years were so painful. Many years were stifling because I couldn't breathe. I wasn't enjoying the freedom of God's grace because I was constantly looking over my shoulders, making sure that I was the perfect son. That was the perfect Christian, the perfect youth member, the perfect college student, the perfect whatever you want to call it. I was not enjoying the freedom of God's grace. Instead, I was so focused on how people would see me, on how they would perceive me. So I said things and I did things that promoted me but destroyed others. But living by the grace of God, let me tell you, is the most enjoyable and most freeing life we could ever live. Because you can judge me, slander me, and I wouldn't care. Because my identity, my worth would be placed in the Lord, and I know I will be covered by His grace. Wanting to follow the words of God and seeking others to do the same brings greater freedom in my relationship with others because it's what God wants not simply what I expect from people. Being broken and humbled makes me consider my words with my fellow brothers and sisters and allows me to also receive God's love from those who speak truth to me, even if it hurts. How are you responding to God's love right now? Are you judging people? Or are you receiving what they're saying for the sake of your accountability? and for your spiritual maturity. And if you are speaking words to other people, how are you doing it? Are you doing it in a way to attack them, to make sure that they make sure feel that pain? No matter if they committed sin, or are you speaking truth to them as a broken vessel, as someone who understands what, need, what it means to need a Savior? So let's take this time and let's pray. I'm going to give you guys a moment to go before the Lord our God and 
And like we do every first Sunday of every month, which is communion, is to judge yourself. The reason why this is so applicable is because applicable is because our our ministries and churches in general have been riddled with so much gossip and dissension. We face so many problems just in our from our interpersonal relationships. We don't know how to communicate to one another. We don't know how to confront sin. We don't know how to be confronted. And why is that? It's because of pride. It's because somehow we think that we have to show our best foot forward. It's this thinking that somehow we have to show God that we are fine and, and to show other people that we're fine. But when you measure yourself up to God, you'll realize that you're not fine. Do you know why I remind myself of the gospel every day? Because I need to remind myself of the gospel every day. I need that breath of fresh air every day. I need that truth of what he's done and what I can't do declared over me every day. So let's take a moment to pray, to seek the Lord in this. And I would even encourage you right now, if there is anyone in your life, whether it's in this church or outside this church, where you have said some condemning things, truly judgmental, slanderous things, no matter how true it was, no matter how right you felt, no matter if you are the sole victim in all this, understand that the words that you say do not just impact that individual but slanders God, slanders his law, slanders who he is. Okay, so let's take a moment and just pray and we'll go into our last song.